0: Amen. A jubilant song. Indeed, that's our prayer this morning, that we sing praises to the Lord. Well, Let me pray for us this morning. God, we do thank you. We do praise you this morning. We we do want to uh, lift you up, Father, in a jubilant way, Father, because we are excited about what you've done for us, Father, and are doing for us. The fact that you came and died for us, you rose again three days later so that we can have a relationship with you, Father. We can do nothing but praise you. So, Father, thank you for that message this morning. Father, thank you for teaching us through your word as well. Father, your scriptures are so full of life, so full of instructions for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for teaching us in that way. Father, impress upon us what you need us to hear this morning. And Father, as we leave this place, that we won't be just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask that you speak through me, that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, and again, we want to wish you all a happy Mother's Day. It's, uh, it's always wonderful to be here and celebrate uh, mothers. I hope all of you who are mothers are, have been celebrated this morning, or uh, maybe will be celebrated later on today. I know I had the wonderful privilege of spending some time with my own mother yesterday, and uh, it was a wonderful time, and I really owe a lot to uh, my own mother. love her dearly. I know that she loves uh, me dearly as well. And I think of... Uh, My own wife, I think of a wonderful mother as well. My wife, Deb, is here, and uh, we have uh, two kids, although sometimes she refers to me as her third child, uh, which I think she's joking, although I'm not sure. But uh, I know that what she does for us is really incredible. It's uh, something out of love, the responsibility to take care of all of us uh, tirelessly. It's really uh, sometimes a thankless job. I had the wonderful privilege of going out to my doctoral graduation ceremony this weekend. And my wife uh, packed up uh, her own clothes and then packed up the children's clothes and then proceeded to pack up my clothes uh, for me. And then when we got to uh, uh, Indiana, we uh, had the privilege of she laid out her own clothes, the children's clothes, and my own clothes as well. So it was a wonderful thing she does tirelessly, and I I appreciate that about her. It's often a very thankless job, and uh, we... I want to appreciate all of you mothers as well. I want to say thank you to what you do. Because you do do it out of love. And uh, often it's it's something that gets overlooked. You know, Evelyn Eve, the general manager of salary.com says, You know, really we see moms as a compilation of really ten jobs in one person. The breadth of mom's responsibilities is beyond what most workers would experience day to day. She says, imagine if we were really trying to hire a mom, what we would have to look for. What would this candidate need to fill? They determined to to do a study, and they figured that an average stay-at-home mom works 97 hours a week. 13 of those hours is a daycare teacher, four hours as a household CEO, 7.5 hours as a psychologist, 14 hours as a chef, 15 hours as a housekeeper, 6.6 hours doing laundry, 9.5 hours as a computer operator, uh, 11 hours as a facilities manager, 8 hours as a janitor, and then 7.8 hours as a chauffeur driving the family around. They said if we were looking to hire somebody, we'd have to pay this person an average of $115,000 a year, because that's what it amounts to. Now, moms, I'm sure, sit here saying, I have not seen a penny of that, and uh, probably never will. But it's a huge responsibility moms have, and we do appreciate them. It really is. To care for, to nurture their children, often thanklessly. They do it because of love. It's definitely something that they, they need grace to do, don't they? But caring for and raising children really isn't just a responsibility uh, for moms. It's an important task that we all share. Not only moms, but of dads as, as and as well as the Christian community to care for and nurture our children, to train them up in the Lord. It was the former uh, general surgeon C. Everett Coop who says: there's no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than raising of the next great generation. We all have that privilege of raising the next generation. As we Look at this encounter with Christ. It's only fitting that we we come to uh, Jesus talking about children, the encounter with children on Mother's Day. We see Jesus really saying, "Listen, children are important. Raising them is important." If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in Matthew 19. It says, "Then the people brought little children to Jesus for Him to place hands on them and pray for them." But the disciples what rebuke them? Jesus says, "Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the." The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You know, we, if you've been with us the last number of weeks, you know that we are in a study called Face to Face with Jesus. Where we look at various encounters that Jesus had with various individuals, and really up to now, up to this point, all the, the individuals that Jesus encountered were, were adults. And so we can easily look at those past encounters and say, you know, how does this relate to me, my encounter with Christ? But here we see Jesus encountering uh, children. And a responsibility for children. This uh, passage, just looking at the background of it, is really recorded in in two other Gospels as well. Mark and Luke also record uh, this passage. And as we look at the background of it, we we see that Jesus is really talking about the children, the importance of children. Right after he talks about uh, teaching about marriage and divorce and remarriage and singleness, if you see there in Matthew 19. So what's happening is the word is really spreading around that Jesus is a teacher and whose love of children is becoming known and what's happening is as parents are bringing children to him. The Greek word here is paideon which really talks about young children even down to infancy. In Luke's gospel it talks about they were bringing even their babies to Jesus. So we have to imagine for a moment church that it's really the parents bringing the children to Christ. Now this isn't an uncommon thing. Uh, Parents back in those days would often bring their children to the, to the rabbis for a blessing. And so, as they were doing so, what happens? The disciples kind of get in there and say, Well, wait a second. They rebuke them, say, Don't, don't bring them to Christ. You know, when, when we look at this encounter, it's easy to think about the children, that this encounter is really about the children. But we have to understand a bit more of the context of it to really understand that it was just as much for the disciples as it was for the children. Because what's happening is the disciples are saying, you know what, no, not worthy to come to Christ. You know what, They, they don't deserve to be in front of Christ. They shouldn't be around him. So you look at the the context of this passage, and that's why I always want to encourage you, whenever you're doing Scripture, to reading Scripture, you always look at the context of it. When you look at the context, you understand there's a lot more application to this than just the children. If you look back in Matthew 18, again, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Matthew 18, right before this this is happening, Jesus says in, in, in 18 verse 1, it says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom? So the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Christ, who is the greatest in the kingdom? What does Jesus do? He calls another little child to him. And he has him stand among them and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are changed and become like little children, you will never enter, what? The kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what's happening is the disciples are kind of arguing amongst themselves, like, who is the greatest? Jesus, we've been with you the whole time. We've been dedicated. We're followers of you. Who is the greatest? We have a, a higher importance than some other people. And these children who have done nothing to deserve your love, nothing to deserve your grace, they shouldn't come to you because they don't deserve it. We do this all the time in the church, don't we? Some, you know, people come in and we say, why are they here? They're different. They don't belong here. They don't deserve to be here. Or, or we do it with our own children downstairs. We say, well, at least the children are downstairs. They're, you know, they, they really shouldn't be up here. That we'll let them be taken care of. And a lot of churches don't want to focus on the children, don't want to focus on the youth. And I'm glad that our church does because we say that they're of utmost importance. Jesus rebukes his disciples here this encounter is for the disciples just as much as it is for the chi- for the children he says you know what no they need to come to me bring them to me they did nothing to deserve my love but i'm giving it to them anyway because i love them unconditionally so what do we recognize from this passage that first off that we have to recognize that first children are important to god children we have to realize children are important to god Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Psalm 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward to him. So children are important to God. They've done nothing to deserve it. They're important to God. Therefore, since every child is important to God, we have a responsibility to, in a sense, to return them to him. How do we do that? Well, you all are very familiar with the verse, I'm sure, in Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. So not only do we need to recognize that children are important to God... But we have to realize the way that children would naturally go, the way we would go as a child. You see, if there's a way that we should go, if there's a way that child should go, that by default means there's a way that they would naturally go, wouldn't they? What's the way that they would naturally go? Well, here's the bad news, is that we're all born with a sin nature, aren't we? And the way that we would naturally go is to follow our own selfish desires, our own way. It says in Genesis 8:21, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Every thought, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Psalm 58 says, Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. So how do we raise our children? We first have to understand if we want to raise our children, raise our grandchildren, if we want to have a good influence as aunts and uncles, we first have to understand the very doctrine, the very basis of mankind. We have to understand that our children would naturally go somewhere that they shouldn't go, naturally follow the waywardness of their own human nature. That's why the Minnesota Crime Commission, demonstrating the truthfulness of this biblical view, issued this report. This is the Minnesota Crime Commission. Every baby starts life as a savage, he is completely selfish, self centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it his bottle, his mother's attention. His playmate's toys. Deny him these things and see the rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. That means all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world at infancy, given free reign to the impulse action to satisfy every want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, or a killer. Well, that's that's a nice fluffy message for Mother's Day, isn't it? Noting that your child will go the way he wants to go is going to grow up potentially a killer. But what's happening is this, parents think that children have, they have, a, they have a human nature. So let's let them just decide what they want to do. Let them go the way they want to go. And that's happening in our culture today. We're backing off morals. We're backing off boundaries for our children because we say, listen, that's the way they naturally want to go. So let's, let's reinforce that. And that couldn't be further from, further from the truth. We have to realize if we freely let our children do what they want to do and don't instill them in any any biblical worldview, then they're going to fill it with whatever peer pressure, whatever worldview is around them. So what do we have to do? We have to teach them the way they should go. We have to teach them biblical truths. We have to get back to the fundamentals of teaching our children the way they should go we need to give them direction we need to give them boundaries it was interesting uh, the focus on the family tells a tells a group of educators that what they tried to do in, in one school years ago was they thought that the fences around a child uh, in a school around the playground really promoted a feeling of confinement and restraint for children so what they did is they decided to remove the fences from the playground in order to let the children be free and not feel confined to, to, to do what they wanted to do. What they found was very interesting. As soon as they removed the fences, all the children huddled together in the middle of the playground. Their conclusion is that children need boundaries. Boundaries based on biblical principles. They need to be taught. So the bad news is, is the, the way they should go. The good news is, is the way that we, we can teach them to go. Bad news is the natural way. Good news is that we have the responsibility to teach them differently. So not only do we need to recognize that children are important to God, not only do we realize the way they would go, but we have a responsibility to teach them. We have a responsibility to point them to the Lord. Understand, this is a community-wide effort. A community-wide effort. There is not one necessarily one person, not just a mother Or a father teaching their children. It's a community effort. You know, one of the things that we use here at the church is called an orange curriculum. It's a a family curriculum. And what the idea between an orange curriculum is, is that it's not just one influencer in a child's life. They're doing a lot of studies realizing there's three, four, five multiple influences on a child's life to point them to the Lord. I know personally this is, uh, this is case in point for me. I know that my parents were pointing me to the Lord. I had youth leaders growing up pointing me to the Lord. I had some coaches pointing me to the Lord. So my question for you this morning is whether you have kids, grandkids, maybe nieces and nephews, are you doing everything you could do to influence them, to point them to the Lord? You know, our children are, are, uh, are very vulnerable at this age, but they're very teachable as well. You know, the bad news is is that they're going to go a natural way. The good news is is that we can point them to the Lord. One of the greatest studies that's been done is the Barna study that talks about the fact that 43% of all Americans who accept Jesus do so before the age of 13. And that 64% of all born-again Christians make that commitment before their 18th birthday. And another 13% of born-again people make the profession while they're 18 to 21. That's a huge number, church. Our children are vulnerable. They need us to teach them. They need us to point them to, to Christ. That's why I love the fact that we have so many folks here influencing our children, using their gifts to influence our children. I had the privilege of being with another woman on our Israel trip who was one of our Sunday school teachers for our children. And I was so happy that she was down there. She had such a passion for teaching our children, pointing them to the Lord. And I was so happy that she was there. Because she realized how important it was to use her gifts to point the children to Christ. So how do we do it? If we recognize that children are important, if we realize that they have a sinful nature, if we have a responsibility to teach them, how do we do it? Well, a great passage comes from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It says in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. This passage of Deuteronomy 6 is a really famous passage. It's called, the, the beginning part is the Shema. It's something that the, the, the Jews will recite twice a day. In fact, there's children who will go and they'll actually cover their, cover their eyes with one hand and say each word individually very slowly. We saw this when we were in Israel. Not only would they say and recite these words, but they would take it literally. They would tie them on their their, their heads so you'd see folks walking around with, with boxes on their foreheads, with boxes on their wrists, with scripture in them. Every hotel that we were at when we were in Israel had a mezuzah on the door frame. And what the mezuzah was, it was a long metal box, and what you're supposed to do is put scripture in there so that when you walk into the room, you remember, and when you walk out, you remember it too. And one of the things I was so impressed with when I was there is the fact that they trained their children from the get-go. It was a reinforcement every single day to remember the scriptures, to point them to the Lord. We saw children walking to the wailing wall, praying. I mean, the fact that the parents parents impressed upon them when they were a child, I thought, boy, if we could do that here in America, in our culture, what would it look like? Our whole culture would change. So we have a responsibility to teach them. How do we teach them? First, we impress it upon them, it says. Impress it upon your children. How do you impress it upon children? You model it yourself. I could probably do a whole sermon on what kids learn just by watching other Christians. What they learn from watching their parents. What they learn from their grandparents, from their aunts and uncles. You may think, you know what, I'm too old or, you know, I don't really have many family members. I don't know how to teach them. I don't have a whole lot of contact with them. Let me encourage you. Your kids, those family members are watching you. How are you doing with your own walk? Are they seeing you have a good relationship with your spouse? Do they see you in the word? Do they see you praying? Do they see you giving back to the Lord? Do they see you trusting in Him? Because I guarantee you they watch you. I guarantee you you're impressing upon them more ways than you recognize. It's a huge responsibility we have. That's why we are very careful as we as we, we look at our volunteers in the children's ministry and our youth ministry. We want to make sure that not only are they, they have a love for children, but they're living it out, because we recognize that children learn from people just by watching them. So the question is, those children around you, what are they learning from you? What are they learning from you? Not only do we impress it upon them by how we model it, but we also talk to them, don't we? It says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and get up. Talk to them all the time, using every opportunity that you can to talk to them, because that's our responsibility. You know, one of the things that my wife and I try to do is, we, after church, we'll always ask our children, what did you learn in church today? What did you learn in Sunday school? And we realize, if you don't do it on Sunday, if you don't do it on Sunday after church, you're probably not going to do it at all. But that's, that's the time they realize not only do they get to explain what they've learned today, but it, it reinforces the fact that we find it very important. So we use every opportunity, every life trial that you're going through, you use it as an opportunity to point your kids, your grandkids, your family members, the kids of our church, you point it back to the Lord. We use every opportunity. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. We also talk to our children about their gifts. Not only do they have a calling to come to Christ, not only that calling to repent from their sinful nature and and put their faith and trust in him, but we talk about their gifts. Every person has a unique gift here. That's why here at the church we do our membership classes, membership, maturity, ministry. In ministry classes we talk about people's gifts. Why? Because God wants us to use us in mighty, mighty ways. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're encouraging our kids to utilize the gifts that God's giving you to be able to not only come to Him to know Him, but to be used and be effective for Him. That's how we point kids to Christ. That's how we return our children to God. So we recognize that children are important, we realize they have a sinful nature. We have a responsibility to teach them. But finally, we remember that God's grace is sufficient with our children. You know, that verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it, is very difficult for some people. Because there's people in a church that I've talked to personally that I know are good, God-fearing parents. Who have trained their kids since they were young, who, who have impressed upon them the need for them to turn away from their sinful nature, to turn towards the Lord, who, who have who modeled it themselves. And what happens is their kids still don't follow the Lord. And I've sat with them in my office, I've talked with them in various events, and they say, You know, Jared, I've done everything I could do. I've trained them, I've talked to them, I've modeled it, and they still don't follow the Lord. It's too late. My response always to them is, when you look at that verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from him. My question is, is, well, how old is old? Are you putting a number on how old your child needs to be? 18? 21? 30? 45? You do not know what you will say now that will affect your child someday later in the future. There's been so many great conversion stories of people who, who are somewhere later in life who, whose parents talked to them about the Lord, about turning to the Lord, who, who didn't, who went on their own way, and something triggered, Something somebody said something to them, or they remembered something from their past, something that their parents or grandparents or family members said to them, and then they turn to the Lord. My encouragement for you. As we think about Mother's Day, mothers sometimes struggle with this because they look at their own children and go, you know, my, my child is too far gone. I say, be faithful. Be faithful. God doesn't call you to be a perfect mom. God doesn't call you to be a perfect dad. He calls you to be faithful. And we pray for our children. We keep talking to them about the Lord. We keep modeling it ourselves. No child ever leaves God's sight. A child may turn his back on God or try hiding from his sight, but leave his view? It's impossible. God has every eye on every child my encouragement for you is to be faithful, to never give up hope. You know, one of the things I find so powerful from a mom who loves their child unconditionally is the hope they have. A few weeks ago, I talked about a mother who I talked to here, who, um, you know, whose child is having some, uh, some legal issues and probably going to be in jail for a number of years. And I remember that mother saying to me, you know, Jared, I, don't, I won't give up on him. I have hope. I'm going to pray for him every single day. Child has lived his own life, never been thankful or grateful for his own mother, and the power of a of a mom to be able to do that is incredible, and that's really what grace is all about. You see, we we as parents, we as grandparents, we as family members have the responsibility to train our children, but we really have to leave it up to God's grace, don't we? We didn't earn it. We didn't earn it. It's God's grace. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. You know, I think of grace, I think of moms all the time. The fact that they love their child unconditionally. They love them despite the the thankless nights that they have. I think of my own wife, nine months pregnant. The pain that she went through. And then the baby comes out crying, screaming for the next six weeks. is either too cold, too wet, too hungry. Sleepless nights. Well, what does she do? She loves the children unconditionally. I talked to a woman, a mother, right after the service, the first service, who was just in tears and said, you know, I love my children unconditionally. It's interesting because God does the same thing, doesn't he? He loves us unconditionally. We didn't earn it. Look at our lives. We complain about the weather. It's too hot. It's not rainy enough. We complain about we don't get a parking, lo- a parking spot. We blame him for hungry, too hungry, or he doesn't provide enough food. Blame him for our finances. We pollute the world. We pollute our own bodies. We're definitely not a thankful country, a thankful society. But what does God do? He loves us anyway. How do we explain it? How do we explain his own love for us that he can send his own son to die for us? The answer is found in the eyes of a mother. Why does she love her newborn? Because the baby is hers? Even more because the baby is her. Her blood, her flesh, her hope, her legacy. It bothers her not that the baby gives her nothing. She knows a newborn is helpless, weak. She knows babies don't ask to come into the world. And God knows we didn't either. We are his idea. We are his. His face, his eyes, his hands, his touch. We are him. Look deeply at every human being and you'll see his likeness. We are the body of Christ. There's no greater truth than this. We are his. Unconditionally, There's nothing we can do to separate us from the love of Christ. As I talked about this, this encounter is about the children, but it's a lot about the disciples as well. You know, I think about the children who were in front of Christ at that moment. What they were thinking when the disciples were rebuking them and saying, listen, you don't belong here. You, you're not worthy to be in front of Christ. Some people are in this room thinking, you know what, I do not belong here right now. I do not belong in this room. These people are are greater than I am. And I'm telling you right now, God loves you. And he wants you to come to him. You may not feel like you belong, but he wants to have a relationship with you because he loves you. It's a simple fact of turning and realizing you have a sinful nature and asking God to forgive you and then making him the Lord of your life. Because I can guarantee you this much, church. Just like a mother... Our Father cannot love us more now than he does right now. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you can teach us through your word this morning. Father, thank you for loving us unconditionally. Like. Mother loves her child, even though we don't deserve it. So, Father, I pray that those that are in this room today, Father, who may not feel like they deserve to be in front of you, they realize that you care for the those that maybe aren't worthy or don't feel like they're worthy enough. Don't feel like they should be in your presence, Father. pray that you impress upon them this morning the fact that they should be, Father, and they can come to you because you love us unconditionally, not for anything that we've done, because you love us. So, Father, help us to turn towards you. And for the rest of us, Father, help us to realize the great responsibility we have to point kids to you, Father. Point others to you. Impress upon us how we can use our own gifts to show those children point them back to you, Father. Thank you for that responsibility. Thank you for teaching us in your word. I ask that you be with us, Father. Thank you again for this time. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.